are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. So I'd like to uh, share the thought with us today, the pillars must fall. The pillars must fall. If you would, close your eyes, raise your voices with me, ask God to touch us during this time as we look into his word. God, I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that you brought us here today, God. You brought us here safely, Lord, from many different venues and walks, God, the different challenges that we've faced this week. But we're standing here, God. We're standing here in this moment to hear your word, God, to lift up your name, to give praises to you, God. As a body of Christ, God, I ask you to strengthen us. Open our ears, God. Let there be fertile soil, God. Let a seed be planted, Lord, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here with the intention to do life differently in a way that would draw us closer to you, God. Let me never be uh, just easily um, and, and able just to walk away after a time I've been in your presence, after a time I've heard your word, after a time the presence has surrounded me, God. I ask you to encourage us today. Open arms, God. Open hearts. And open ears, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We start this thought today in Judges 13, verses 3 through 5. And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, And do not eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Yes, this is the story of Samson. And because of maybe some of our COVID restrictions, I don't have any dramas to put on up here, even thought about bringing other items, but then it would block the screen. Um, It can get really complicated once we've gone online and we can't bring people up here to wrestle, arm wrestle, you know, whatever. whatever. I I had a lot of thoughts that aren't going to happen, so we'll leave those where they are. But Judges 13 begins with the facts that the Israelites had done evil in the sight of the Lord And he delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Once again, the Israelites are in trouble. This time, he said, for the next 40 years. In the beginning of this time, an angel of the Lord visits Samson's parents and gives instruction of what not to eat or drink if she were to birth, as she would give birth to a son who would be a Nazarite of God from birth to death. So I quickly go over the life of Samson. The next time uh, in Scripture here, Scripture skips quickly through the life of Samson. A lot of time elapses from line to line or verse to verse or as we turn to the next chapter. But it says that he takes interest in a Philistine woman one day. And he asks his parents if he um, could be with her, to marry her. On his way with his parents to the Philistine camp or the area there, a lion attacks him. And he wouldn't be Samson if, what's he do? He rips this lion apart and leaves it there to lay. In Samson's travel back and forth then comes the riddle as we begin 
uh, some of the interactions with Samson and the Philistines. We've all heard this riddle maybe before. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Seven days he was headed for the wedding ceremony. And his father-in-law had assigned 30 men, 30 of the Philistines, to be a part of this in the bridal party. And Samson gives them this riddle as he taunts or he teases him. And he says, solve this riddle for me. And I will give you 30 garments or 30 lemons, 30 outfits for you. If you don't solve it, though, you have to give me 30. Now, I know power came over Samson, but I'm kind of picturing in my head that he wasn't the same size as them. So I'm not sure what he was going to do with these. Maybe it's a gift for somebody else. Everybody likes to get a hand-me-down or a shirt that doesn't fit another person. I have a few for my brother. He's not here today, so I won't say how I got those. They just didn't fit him anymore. All right, I hope he's listening right now, though. So, moving on. So what happens here is they can't figure it out, they can't figure it out. They go to his wife and they say, he's making a mockery of us. Please ask him, please figure this out. So she goes and she begs him. She says, why won't you tell me this? He said, I won't even tell my mom and dad the answer to this riddle. Why would I tell you? So she's begging him. He finally gives in and tells her. What does she do? She turns and tells the men of her camp. They then in turn answer the riddle for Samson, and he is enraged. So having to come up with the deal, he goes to the next camp to backfire on them and kills 30 of these Philistine men and brings back their garments and hands it to them. Of course, then, now they are upset, but he has returned home to his parents to cool down for a bit. When he uh, returns and they are very upset still and uh, Samson decides that oh he, he returns I'm sorry he returns and he finds out that his father-in-law had given his wife to somebody from that bridal party this is this is going to turn out bad if you weren't thinking ahead yet on this story so anybody would be very upset in this moment so what does he do Samson then this is the story of the foxes he ties the 300 foxes together all the tails set them on fire and he burns down all of their crop in this day and age that's a very big deal all the straw all the vineyards he burns all the crops down the philistines now everyone's involved asking who did this and why they mention it's samson and it's because his new father-in-law had given his daughter to someone else when samson went away guess what they did not problem solved, but they decided, okay, we're done with you too. They burn the two of them. They kill his, his new wife and father-in-law. When Samson finds this out, then he starts killing every one of the Philistines he comes in contact with until he finally takes a moment of refuge in a cave. The Philistines then, outraged with Samson, after he's demolished all their crops, go and set up camp outside of Judah. Judah then is wondering, what is going on? What have we done that the ruler, the people over us, have now come to war against us? When they go and ask him, they simply explain, it's Samson. Do you think they were surprised? Probably not. Probably not. So then they go to find Samson. 
the Bible says 3,000 men of Judah go to find Samson. That's pretty impressive. Clearly, they were a little afraid. I'd be embarrassed to be a part of the 3,000 walking to capture one guy. I would be far back in the line. Here's Samson, though. They come and he says, hey, what's going on? They're like, what have you done? Why have you brought the rulers over our people down upon us? They're encamped outside of us, ready for war. And he says, listen, if you promise not to kill me, I'll let you bind me up and deliver, deliver me to them. Just promise not to kill me. So they make this agreement on their way then to deliver them to the Philistines. When they get there, the Philistines begin cheering. They're excited that they somehow they have captured Samson as the men of Judah bring him there. And the power of God comes on Samson, breaks the ropes, grabs the fresh jawbone of the donkey, and begins to slay the men of, of the Philistines. In this moment, he slays a thousand men. From this victory, he becomes a judge or a ruler over Judah, and the verse ends saying, for the next 20 years. Now, as the Bible does sometimes, we jump to chapter 16. 20 years has passed, and all of a sudden, something has happened in the life of Samson. The next thing, it opens up that he has found a prostitute in Gaza. We've jumped from becoming a ruler in Judah to now he's back in the, one of the cities of the Philistines at Gaza and has walked into the home of a prostitute. Something has changed in Samson's life. Something has gone wrong for him. At, as soon as he enters in this home, word begins to spread in the town and they begin to devise a plan to capture Samson. Samson, though, wakes in the middle of the night, figures out that they have tried to lock the gates down, and somehow here again in this moment, even though I know this part to me is confusing here, we know he's not living right, but the power of God comes on him, he lifts the city gates from the two posts on the opposite sides and walks out of the city and carries and sets the gates on a hill, making a mockery once more of the Philistines. The next verse then tells us, some time later. Don't you wish you could just kind of skip a few pieces of your life like that? <laughs> when you're telling somebody like, now what's your testimony? What? Well, some time later, <laughs> I found myself at the Calvary Church, right. right? You kind of skip. You should try that next time. I'm just throwing that out there. So, well, yeah, I met so-and-so. Then sometime later, I was at the Calvary Church. Um, amen. Look at that. Somebody is going to leave with something. I can guarantee that. I can assure Pastor Tom, Pastor Kristen, somebody left with something. They've been encouraged today. Amen. 1138. Time is moving on. So sometime later, Delilah. And it's hard not to try to sing that little jingle in your head. Delilah. I'm not going to go any higher than that. I'm not going to go any louder than that. Just leave some of you wondering, especially if it's your first time, if I could really sing or not. So Delilah, sometime later, Delilah valued money more than relationships and has been offered 1,100 shekels per ruler of Gaza. We don't know how many rulers sat at this table, how many sat at this team of rulers of Gaza, but offer 1,100 shekels per ruler 
if she will go and find out what is the secret, what is the strength of Samson. So Delilah asked, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied and subdued. Well, he first tells her seven bowstrings, seven bowstrings that have not been dried. Then I will become as weak as any other man. She does this and then yells what? Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Okay, we're going to say that together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Okay, be ready. We've got two more times and you're on your own on the next ones. All right. He broke them away, ran the men off, and the moment was over. What an awkward moment. I'm sure he's looking at her, but she quickly turns this. You've made a fool of me. Now tell me the truth. He said, okay, okay, okay. Tie me with new ropes that have never been used. Of course, she then does what? Ties him with new ropes. This is all for a lot of shekels, right? She could go through this a couple times. It's probably worth whatever she's spending on these items. So she ties him up, tells him to move in, and she yells. All right, I know this isn't a competition, and there's more people, but so far you guys are a little bit more on cue than the first group that was here, okay? And I'm kind of counting on the fact they're not going to listen to this because they were here. All right? So, okay, you guys are doing great. I'm not just lifting you up here for no reason. So then she, of course, you've made a fool of me once again. Please tell me, what is the secret of your strength? He said, okay, okay, okay. Seven braids of my hair need to be woven into the fabric of the loom and then pinned. So what'd she do? She wooed him back to sleep. She ties him in into the loom, pins it, moves in the, arm, the army and the group, and then she says, Whew, I wish we had a lot more time because you guys are really going somewhere with that. Of course, then he breaks from the loom. He runs all the people off, and here he is moving out again. Awkward moment again. Come on, Samson. You wish you could rewrite some of these stories, but it's not going to happen, and that's wrong. just want to mention that. So here, Samson is standing there again, looking at him. Quickly, she begins to talk with him, right? The Bible even says she nags him, and then she says... You said you loved me. I mean, that's like, it's like it had to go slow motion in that moment. Because as he's watching it, like, whatever, he's already thinking up his next thing. And and then he watches her say, rut row. Okay, bad moment for Samson. Here he is. He's been so weak already. We've even, we've even like progressed to something with the hair, and now, I won't do it again. So now the loved me, right? And she says, you won't confide in me. Samson then breaks down and says, it's because of my Nazarite vow. No razor has touched my head. She then calls them in, subdues him once more. And has someone shave off the seven braids of hair, and his strength leaves him. The next verse says, They seized him, 
gouged out his eyes, took him to Gaza, shackled and bound him to the grinder in the main square where the grain was grinded. And then the next verse says, but his hair began to grow back. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm reading this again going, somebody missed a detail. (laughs) Right? Somebody dropped the ball. We went through all of that and 20 years of him sitting as a judge and ruler after he's slain all these men. We finally figure out the trick. Sorry, I'm on the enemy's side right now. And someone forgets the detail that we just shaved off his hair. He said that's where the strength was at. And then we let his hair grow back. So in my mind, I said this the first service too, but you know, it's that term like somebody dropped the ball. That, that was the phrase. It, it evolved into somebody dropped the ball today, but back then it was someone let Samson's hair grow. Like, so if you missed a detail on your team or you were in a group or you forgot to do something, someone's like, whoa, you let Samson's hair grow, right? Like that's what they said back then. Like this was a big oopsie. Like you've really failed. The mission's over. The event is canceled. You let Samson's hair grow and now we're ruined. So here, here we are, and it's just a small tag line right there at the end of that verse. But on a serious note, here Samson was slowly subdued. And I say slowly because eventually what happened? Eventually he gave in. He gave in to this weak area of his life. He let sin creep in. And by the third time, Samson was already letting Delilah touch his hair. He was not a young man, meaning a young boy. He was a judge over Israel now for 20 years, plus the time Israel went into captivity. So we got to think at least somewhere around in his 40s. And why? Why then? Why even after these 20 years as a judge and a ruler, why in this next verse are we in Gaza walking into the home of a prostitute? Why, Samson, did you lower the bar? I'm not sure how Samson had been living the 20 years as a judge. The Bible doesn't say. But when the story picks back up in chapter 16, back in Gaza, something in his world has changed. Something had altered the way he was looking at things. Something had softened his convictions, and he had become weak morally and spiritually. We were very alert when COVID began. We were all hanging on the edge of our seats, checking social media constantly, in groups probably at work trying to understand what this meant now in the world I was surrounded in immediately, talking at home about it, waiting for the governor's next press release. And our normal was completely changed and challenged as we were waiting to see what would happen. And honestly, at first, maybe a lot of us weren't affected, especially even as we watched it begin and move in other countries. Maybe we slowly just pushed it aside thinking, it may or may not come here, I'll deal with it when it gets here. I'm not sure what we thought, but it happened. And then all of a sudden, church changed, work changed. The way that we hung out or did life with our family and friends changed. Work personally or downtime and time of how we did work and where we did work changed. 
how we filled our new schedule and the gaps were rearranged by Zoom calls, other online connections for leisure or for work, maybe even some house projects that I'll say maybe you just put off for a couple weeks, maybe some of you a couple months, and I'll leave it there. Be kind to yourself today, but maybe stuff you have been putting off and all of a sudden you had rearranged and thought I could maybe get to these things now. Maybe you started listening to music a little bit more. Maybe in the thought that you had no clue how long this was happening and you were waiting to see how things in life shifted, you even started watching more movies and catching up on different things of of leisure items that were just fun. No matter how it played out for you, things changed during this time of COVID for all of us. When it changed and the dust settled, Where did we all end up morally and spiritually? Had your disciplines weakened? Where are you today? What are you allowing in your life? What are you allowing that you had not allowed before and all of a sudden it snuck up on you? thinking maybe you wouldn't normally do this, but you did because things were so different. And all of a sudden, you're still allowing, you're still doing these things. For all of us, COVID became a challenge as nothing but a Delilah, woeing us to sleep, to cut our vow and weaken us for capture of the enemy. I beseech you today, don't lower the bar now. Find something, dig a little deeper, push these things aside that have maybe caught you off guard or that you hadn't considered until you heard the word of God today. But find something. Find that next normal as Pastor Tom preached, as Sister Reed spoke Wednesday. Teach that old dog new tricks and find something different for your devotion. Find something different for your prayer. Adapt to the next normal for your church attendance. And don't forget we were given a vow, many vows, many promises, as the Bible tells us. The Bible tells me I'm a child of the king, and let me tell you, COVID didn't change that. The Bible tells me I'm a chosen generation, and the Bible didn't change that. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter was encouraging the church in a time of persecution to live courageously. If he's having to say that, then there was a challenge. If he's having to say that, things weren't normal. If he's having to say that, things were different than they had hoped to be trying to live this new life. So he was saying, live courageously. Live above the reproach. Don't let your good be spoken evil of. Don't find your place, yourself in places you shouldn't be. Don't find yourself watching, saying, doing things you shouldn't be doing. He reminds them that being born again, that they have hope and are to live a life imitating Christ. He's encouraging them. He's reminding them of what they already knew and reminded and told them, you must, you must stay in submission to him. I know you're tired. We're all tired. That's why we come here together. That's why we rub 
oh, we don't rub shoulders. Elbows. Shoulders is too close. That's why we bump elbows. That's why we come here and encourage. It just encourages us sometimes to see one another. It encourages us sometimes to see one another worship. It encourages us to, oh, plug for work day on Saturday. It encourages us to come here on a Saturday for work day and see each other volunteering to work on the house of God. All right, I just noted all those amens. I'm hoping that group at least, we got to at least get four hours in right there. That's not in my notes, so that must have been the Lord. But I'm saying, I know as we are trying to adapt to this new normal, or this next normal, I'm sorry, as we are trying to move through and we're challenging ourselves to be the best Christians that we can be and that God is calling us to be, that we get tired sometimes and we still mess up. I've messed up since COVID has started. Have you messed up since COVID started? But something keeps drawing me back. No different than before COVID. Hear what I'm saying. Something keeps drawing me back to the house of God. Something keeps drawing me back to a time of prayer. Something keeps drawing me back to pick up a devotion. Something keeps drawing me after Wednesday night Bible study to go back and read that epistle. It's the power of God. It's the hope that we have because of the cross. It keeps drawing me back. It keeps drawing me back. It tells me what? It tells me is there's something real about it. It's something that's living within me, something that's stirred like a fire with embers at the bottom. Even the fire has gone down. There's, it's been watered. It's been rained. But if those embers, if that spirit is tucked in, nestled down there, you just move some of those ashes and stir that again and put another log on, it'll catch fire. It'll catch fire. we got to encourage ourselves today. It's the spirit living within us, urging us to do what? Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. And that draws me back to what? I die daily and I'm looking for what? I'm looking for the cross, the great exchange. My sins for a life in Christ. He gave his life. It was the greatest exchange that will ever be on this earth. It it was my sins for a life in Christ, life here on this world. I know things are not back to normal yet, but I ask us today, where is our conviction? Where's our conviction on the things that we held before COVID? Where are your biblical and spiritual standards at? Are you still living in these guidelines? Do you still have these bars raised high? So from this story, I asked Samson, what happened? Why did you let these desires of your life overtake you. Samson knew what he had experienced was from God. In the, in the word, it even shows us and tells us in these moments, before he killed those thousand, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. This was not something he had all the time and just turned it on automatically. It was when the Lord moved on him. This wasn't any type of magic that he could drum up. He knew where his strength, he knew where his power came from. I think of the disciples also as we look into the season of life group. What was it about the disciples that immediately, right after Jesus had taught them and explained things to them, look how quickly 
They were enamored with heaven and the new kingdom. In my flesh, in my humanity, I want to say they were looking for relief already. They were looking for that new beginning, a fresh start, wanting to know when would this end. They realized really quickly this would not be an easy road to walk in life. And we know just because you're a Christian doesn't automatically mean you're going to live an easy and a blessed life. You'll face challenges. It rains on the just and the unjust. Here the disciples, though, in this time period, persecuted probably more than we would ever imagine or realize and quickly understood and knew they were the outcasts, quickly understood and believed in what Jesus was telling them. So what kept them going on after Jesus ascended? It was the hope they had in Jesus Christ. If Jesus walked this earth right now, would you accept Jesus' call as one of his disciples? Would you stop and ask yourself or tell yourself or tell Jesus, you wouldn't want to choose me? Because as, this, as these episodes will show us, that's what they thought. The disciples were the outcasts. So if you thought of that when I asked that, you would probably be one that would be asked. These thoughts that hold us, these thoughts that keep us, the sin that builds up in our life, that, that creeps in, are nothing but pillars that are slowly erected holding up a building or holding up something that stands for the areas where we have regret and our mistakes hang in. If this is the only altar that we've been to since COVID started, we've missed something. I hope all of us are finding somewhere to kneel I hope all of us are finding somewhere, and I hope we all know, I hope we're all challenged that this is not the altar where we can find repentance. This is not the only altar where we can find God. This is not the only area or space that we can stand and let God move with his presence upon us. I hope COVID has not conditioned us to think, oh, church is so much easier now. God forbid. God help us in those moments when we feel relieved, when we think it's maybe not as long of a time or we haven't had to attend certain things. Let me explain this title of The Pillars Must Fall. There is a question within this asking, will things be easier one day? When can I stop this fight? When can I let my guard down? And the answer is never. Not on this earth. Only when the trumpet sounds and we find ourselves before the judgment scene. Then, then is this fight over. Then will things be different. Nothing about God changed with COVID. Especially not here in this house or in this place. We walk in with our mask on. We bump elbows. We sit six feet apart. We give a head nod for greeting But when the singers start singing or when you lift your hands and when the conviction of God falls in this place, nothing has changed. 
since COVID. And anything that tells you that it has must fall. Any pillar that's built up around you during this time to say, well, I, I don't really have this moment of repentance. I, I don't really feel this because this has changed and that is different. I'm telling you today, God has not changed because of COVID. Any of these pillars that have erected and moved and, and raised up around you during this time, these pillars must fall. In Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot uh, Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And then it talks about Samson in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteous, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. We may look at Samson's life and think it was a waste of potential or he failed completely. Yes, Samson could have done greater things, but he did what the angel of the Lord said he would do. He began the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In Hebrews 11, we just read, his name is mentioned and is listed with those who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Samson recognized his dependence on God, and for that, he is mentioned in the hall of faith. In that moment, at the end of his life, he knew that was not some power he called upon. He knew at that moment of his life and everything had come to the end, that he had let pillars surround him. I don't know what happened in those 20 years. I don't know what let him be subdued by Delilah, why he didn't stand strong in the convictions and what he had been taught by his parents and by the people of Judah. But whatever he did didn't matter because it mattered right there at the end. In that moment, what he did was called on God once more. When he died, Samson died, God turned his failures and defeats into victory. Samson's story is a great example that it is never too late for us to trust in God. Then we read in Hebrews 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. So after they read to us the details of the hall of faith, after they read to us the ending impact of these people's lives that gave themselves for the cause, it tells us these cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded, because of them, we should be encouraged. We should lay aside every sin. We should knock down every pillar the sin which so easily ensnares us and lets us run with the endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If the singers would please make their way up here. As I look at this and I process where we are in life, as I process where it might not be any different then we look through the history of the Bible and the times and the things that the people of God were challenged with. I look to a psalm of David. Psalms 24 
is at the time at the end of the rebellion with Absalom. David returns to Jerusalem, to the palace and to the house of God. His son Absalom has been killed in the battle. David's forces have been victorious. It was victory for David, but a hollow victory because he has lost his son. But now he turns to the palace and writes the 24th Psalm. Picture him as he returns home as we read this psalm. But this psalm presents itself in a different way as, as David can symbolize the life of Christ. The psalm presents him as the king in the kingdom age, as the Messiah. David begins, becomes a picture of Jesus. His suffering in the city of Jerusalem and leaving the city pictures death and burial. His love for Absalom while he is away from the city pictures Jesus' love for us now. And his returning to the city to claim the victory pictures Jesus coming to earth again. This written in the Old Testament, this story in David's life, then became a staple, this psalm did, for the church and for the Jews. For those who had moments where they longed for the Messiah. They looked for him and they prayed for him. When this longing would arrive and their hunger for the Messiah's return would reach its peak, they would read and sing the 24th Psalm. It reads, Psalms 24, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Now I want you, as you begin to think of this, I want you to slowly start to picture yourself in between the pillars that maybe life has, you've let life build up against you. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Who is this king of glory? If you'll stand with me today. The musicians and the singers are going to play and sing the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. The song that reads the lines, Oh, what a Savior. I don't know how and I don't know why, and it's none of my business. But if you have let these pillars erect in your life, if you've let somehow a new normal that you don't like because COVID has subdued you and swept in and all of a sudden your relationship with God is not what it used to be. I challenge you today to challenge yourself. I challenge you today to ask yourself, have you violated the vows and promises? Have you violated God's laws? Have you been in control? Have you been controlled by sin? Have you confided in the wrong people? Have you used your gifts and abilities unwisely. Jesus is calling you today to knock over these pillars. You might feel like Samson. 
He said, I can't see. He had to have help. He asked the person that was in charge that had brought him inside the building to entertain all these guests and rulers. Take me to the pillars. Let me lean upon them. Maybe you haven't been able to see this until now. Maybe, maybe it's something that you thought you needed to take care of. And today is the affirming word of the Lord that you need to take down these pillars. Because why? Because they're holding up wrong decisions. They're holding up regrets and mistakes that you've making, and they must come down. These pillars must fall today for you to move forward. As long as these pillars stood, the stage was available for Samson to return before those rulers of Gaza. His regrets and poor decisions would hang over him in this building, but he knew God had given him a gift. And God had spoke a purpose over his life to his mother. So at the end, we read in Judges chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. One more time, God, at the end of my life here, one more time, use me for the purpose you called me for, that I may blow, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes and push these pillars down. In this moment, when Samson does this, he kills more people at his death in that building than he did in the time he was alive and began began the separation once again from Israel over their captives. The pillars have to fall. The pillars have to fall in your life today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.